The planet is heating up. The oceans are becoming filled with plastic. Change starts now. Change starts now. We're on a countdown. To zero waste. Five, four, three, two, one. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast. Here's your host, Laura Nash. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Zero Waste Countdown podcast and radio show. Today, we're speaking with Bob Powell. He's the CEO of Brightmark. Bob, welcome to the show. Laura, thanks so much for having me. Just just a delight to be here and join you. You're doing some amazing things in the recycling world and dealing with our waste, so this is going to be great. Um, can we start with kind of what Brightmark is and what is your main focus? Laura, Brightmark is really here to serve a mission. And there's three primary things that I, I think are really our, our focus. So we start with, from a mission perspective, that we'd like to create a world without waste uh, with holistic closed-loop circular economy uh, solutions that really tackle the most pressing environmental challenges we have. So that, that would be one, start with the mission. And, and then secondly, we really want to change the world by reimagining waste and elevate really what it means to be truly sustainable here in this year in 2020, which has had so many challenges, and then the years beyond that as well. So we do that, thirdly, by enabling programs that are specifically tailored to environmental needs in order to build scalable project-based solutions. And I'll talk about those in a second here. And our, and our solutions really need to have a positive impact on the world and the communities, really all the communities that we all live and work in. So there needs to be a tangible, positive result from that. So there are two ways we're currently doing that. So first, what we do is we create clean, efficient, negative carbon intensity, renewable natural gas from animal and food waste. So we take animal and food waste, put it into a biological process, and we create renewable natural gas that is negative carbon intensity. And we're able to put that into gas pipelines so that you can heat your homes and do other things that we do with natural gas, uh, cook on our stoves. So that's really cool. So that's one thing that we're doing very specifically in achieving the mission. And then the other is we take all the post-use plastics that we throw away that uh, we see on the streets and the landfills and really sadly uh, end up also in the oceans. And we take all of the plastics, even the hard to recycle plastics, and create usable products like fuels, candle wax. You could have a nice Brightmark scented candle in your home in the evening, as well as remake new plastics, creating a truly, for the first time, circular uh, solution to all of the plastic waste that we throw away. And as we know, plastic is in almost everything we use that's that's usable. Our cars, baby seats. If you go to the hospital, there's medical equipment that's encased in it. There's just so many uses for plastics. And until we found a scalable solution to reuse those plastics, it was a real problem. So those are the two specific areas starting, though, with our mission. So if you're listening, you probably have been frustrated before by your own recycling, like curbside recycling, because I know I am that they usually can only take certain types of plastic. So usually those film bags aren't accepted. And like you said, things like car seats and, and different things, right? Our recycling is a really good program, but it's still limited with what we can 
send in and everything else kind of has to go to the trash, which is uh, frustrating. So it's very cool to see this sort of like catch-all solution. So I want to talk a little bit about the plastic and, and how you're doing this. So you're turning it into a fuel and then and then you said candles as well. Like how how does that work? On the, the candle wax side, one of the byproducts, one of the heavier uh, products that we get out of our process where we heat up the plastics that we throw away is paraffin wax. And so we have the paraffin wax that we, uh, that we treat. We can make and sell to folks that sell candles to you and the rest of us for our homes. This is a really cool process. The other products, in addition to candles and uh, candle wax and paraffin wax that we produce, are fuels. Uh, fuels like uh, environmentally friendly ultra-low sulfur diesel. And we also produce uh, feedstocks that can be used to uh, put into gasoline, for example. And the other thing that's really neat, too, is our process also allows us to remake plastic. So we can recreate with some of the liquids that we produce the materials to turn them back into plastics again. So truly creating a circular economy. And what's interesting about our technology is not only uh, are we able to create usable products, we can do it at a global scale. It was the first time that really that has uh, been done before. And our technology was invented 15 years ago and they figured out how to do it so we can solve it globally in a very scalable fashion. So is the fuel, it's kind of like adding... You know how we can add corn ethanol into our fuel and kind of like dilute it, but it still needs the the regular fuel? Is that kind of how this plastic waste is turned into fuel? It, it can be added to regular fuel or can it be used kind of completely on its own? The fuels that we produce, for example, include ultra-low sulfur diesel. That fuel mm. actually does not need to be blended in order to become a usable uh, low sulfur diesel. We can actually wow. produce jet fuels as well. They're fully usable too. The one product that we produce called naphtha actually will mm. be blended in to make gasoline, but is also a feedstock that you can use as an ingredient to remake the plastic. So some of the products we produce go straight away right into the finished product, diesel, right? So trucks, uh, that are going around our highways around the world could be powered by low sulfur diesel made from plastics that we all threw away. And it's a finished product. Wow. You know, what would be really cool is to buy those canisters for camping because I have this little really efficient camping stove and you buy these, I don't know if you've seen them, you buy these little canisters of fuel, but typically when people go into the backcountry or whatever, they're already environmentally conscious so it would be kind of cool if we could get like them filled up with this that would be nice <laughs> yeah you know what i think i'm going to write that one down that's a new one on me i'd <laughs> love to go camping and so i didn't think about oh, that one so yeah i'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sketch that down because we can certainly it. yeah we can we absolutely can make those types of fuels out of plastics they'll go into the mm -hmm. the uh, canisters uh when you go camping so that's yep. that's a really cool use yeah, that that would be amazing. Let me know and I will buy them <laughs> for when we go yeah. camping. Um, I, I've got your order right now. The the first canister <laughs> of Bright, Brightmark camping fuel goes to you, Laura. I'm on pre-order. Awesome. Um, <laughs> so the the factory in Ashley looks pretty cool. Is Ashley in, was it Indiana? 
The factory in Ashley is absolutely in Northeast Indiana. It's uh, it's tucked up in the corner there, close to Ohio in the state of Michigan. Uh, for those of you all who might be familiar with the uh, with the geography, it's just a spectacular uh, community. So that's really ground zero for what we're doing in the uh, the reusing, renewing the plastics uh, area. So our plant in Ashley, Indiana, we started construction over a year ago on that plant. And we invested over 260 million U.S. dollars in that facility. Oh my gosh. Yeah, so it's uh, it's pretty amazing, and uh, we are well underway with construction. Having, as I said, a little bit over a year ago started construction. So a couple things about that facility. Uh, first, in the first phase of that particular project, we will take once we turn on early next year at full scale. Uh, that project, 100,000 tons of plastic a year and converted into usable products that we've talked about, products like the fuels, the waxes, and actually re- and to remake plastics as well. Maybe the camping canisters too. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that particular project, again, take 100,000 tons of plastics a year, is the first of its kind to operate at a production scale on a seven by 24 basis. So that is the footprint for what we will do globally. Uh, we're under development of projects here in the States and, uh, and beyond the States internationally as well. So with our mission being to have a positive global impact, we wanna make sure that this technology that our team invented and has patented has the ability to solve the problem globally. So you can think of regions like Asia, which have uh, very extreme issues with respect to plastic and other forms of waste. If we're not helping solve the problem in Asia, how can we say we're solving the problem globally? But it all starts right there in Northeast Indiana in the town of Ashley. That's very cool. How is the plastic getting into the plant? Is it being collected curbside or from industry or like, because that's a lot of plastic that it's processing. So where is all of that coming from? The plastics for a plant in Ashley come from the surrounding area, generally from waste management companies. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense just because they're, they're already kind of set up to collect it, right? They are, but we find really interesting uh, other opportunities as well. So um, in that particular community where we're located, there are an awful lot of lakes. And so one of the, the really interesting things that as we started, we didn't know how this would turn out, but the, the community in, uh, in that particular area, when they winterize their boats, they wrap their boats in plastic. So um, we actually created a program this year that's sort of disrupting that particular space where winterized boats that have the plastic wrap that then traditionally would get thrown away would be uh, put into landfills. So we created a program there in and around Ashley when the boats are unwrapped to take with in partnership with a local waste management company, the boat wraps. And so you can imagine as you're running around this summer on a boat, you could in the future be running around on Brightmark fuel that was made from that boat wrap plastic that you had on it last year. It was really cool. So some interesting different areas that we found we can source the plastics from that are really supporting the communities. 
That's really awesome. That's great to hear. Um, I've always wondered what happens to those plastic wraps, like if you could reuse them again, because usually with wraps like that, it's it's not really possible to reuse them, right? So, um, but I wonder about that with like plastic hay wraps as well, because in my area, we see so many of them. And I'm wondering, because I don't actually know if they're if they're just being landfilled here, I assume they are. Um, but are you able to take those or do you have any plan for those hay wraps soon? We actually are excited when uh, our farmers are through with this season that they're in right now to also disrupt that particular area too. So on the Brightmark team, we spend a lot of time in the farming communities. A lot of our projects not just the Ashley plastic renewal project, but our renewable natural gas projects are in farming communities. So we see those and it's a great synergy for us. So once we get through the harvest season, the farmers are all set to go and have the time. Uh, we would expect to start working on that particular um, you know, solution there. And you're right. Same thing as boat wrap, the hay wraps, plastic hay wraps basically end up in landfills, which is not a really good end of life solution for those. You know, there's another, Laura, that I think it would be a great one to mention as well in terms of non-traditional sources of plastic. And that is uh, our project in Ashley. We've partnered up with with an NGO, and a lot of NGOs are great, but this one in particular is very special to us. It's called Recycle Forest, and it's based in um, the big city in Indiana, Indianapolis. That's a program that recycles e-waste and as part of that process the e-waste the electronics that are taken out there is plastic that traditionally they also have had to uh, landfill so we are taking plastics from them they also have a car seat program too that they participate in so that's really neat that we've got another source But what's really amazing about this is that particular program, and we hope we can do it in every one of the uh, facilities in the future that are viable, that particular program actually employs formerly incarcerated individuals who've just gotten out of prison and are trying to transition back into life, into their communities, back into their families. And so what we do by buying plastics from them have supported Recycle Force in a program that helps train and provide support um, to folks who've just uh, gotten out of prison. And what's amazing about that particular program is the rate, the recidivism rate that people go back into prison is at least half, if not lower than that, than the traditional population of folks that would get out of uh, prison. So when we think about solving some of these environmental problems, there are synergies where we can solve other problems. And uh, I love it when we sort of have a twofer with partners like that. So we're super excited about that program. And as I, as I said a second ago, I hope that as we begin to put more of our plastic renewal facilities around the globe, where we have these types of opportunities, we can have an even bigger impact on our communities. Mm-hmm, and creating a lot of jobs, right? Which of course has been an issue recently with COVID uh, that a lot of people have lost jobs. And I think people are a little bit worried about where the economy is going. And with all our information and our tech and everything, sometimes jobs are are left behind. But then there's, of course, new ones that are created as we move on 
in the future. So I think that this is uh, this should be a good job opportunity as well. And especially if you can kind of re like your your plan is to rebuild a version of the the plant in Ashley, like in other countries, right? Yes, our plan is to sort of, if you will, cut or copy and paste yeah. the, the same technology and program in other communities globally. As we move forward, we actually are looking at generally a size a uh, bit larger, starting at about four times the size of Ashley in our communities. In fact, uh, for some who uh, may have followed us or if you haven't, we actually initiated here in the States um, a process of selecting that next set of sites uh, here in the U.S. to build our next set of facilities. And generally, those are going to take about 400,000 tons of plastics or more a year out of the landfills and the oceans and the waterways. We also have work underway internationally as well with some great partners. Probably can't announce yet. And and I will tell you, Laura, uh, would love to be up there in Canada where you and the team are. We see a lot of great opportunity and we've got uh, some teammates who are actually based out of Canada too. So Canada is certainly one of the, one of the countries that we're really excited about doing more of the great work here that we're doing uh, here initially in the States and at Ashley on the plastic side. Oh, that's good. Yeah, we love to have this up here. We don't have as much of the population, but uh, certainly just driving around, you can see that we do have a big plastic problem here in Canada as well. You just kind of have to get out of your car to see it, which sometimes I think maybe people just don't like realize that it's there. But when you're out walking around and, you know, looking in the ditches or the waterways, we definitely have a big problem with it. And and like I said in the beginning, there's just so much plastic that we can't recycle here because we just don't have any any buyers. And and I know a big problem with that is, for example, let's say you wanted clear plastic. Well, if you get like, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but if you get like an orange plastic mixed in with the clear plastic, then it kind of like messes up the batch. Or if you have different plastics mixed in, then the buyer who's trying to make a certain type of plastic for their packaging, they can't do it because it's been kind of contaminated. So we have this big problem with contamination, which not only means you know, you might have yogurt left in it or something, but but also that it's just not the right type of plastic. So I feel like this solution of turning it into a fuel is probably uh, more efficient than uh, than sorting through all these batches. Yeah, Laura. I mean, the the point that you raise in terms of mixing different types of plastics has traditionally been a big issue. And the reality is only 9% globally, and it's generally the same almost in every country, of plastics that we throw away actually are being recycled and feasibly could be until our technology was invented 15 years ago. Uh, There are some single stream solutions. Uh, There are solutions that, uh, for example, styrofoam or polystyrene, that a technology that can take that and convert it into usable products. But the problem is what you point out, which is, you know, imagine you're there in your home or in your business having seven or 10 different bins just for plastics. That's just not pragmatic. And that's the great thing about our solution is we can take all of those plastics. There's a numbering system globally uh, for the different types of plastics, that one through seven numbering system. The ones and twos, which are things like the water bottles, that type of thing, are typically uh, recycled quite well. But most of the rest, the three through seven numbers in the plastics, are not. And we can take those and we can take them 
not separated, but in a single bin or in a single bale, if you will, because our process works extremely well. And the yogurt containers, don't feel bad about that. There's just a little bit left in the bottom after you've had the yogurt. We actually, it'll work really well in our process as well. So hopefully what we can do as well is in the future, you know, as you're, you're eating your yogurt and you throw it away, you know it's going to be recycled and reused and potentially even be from remade plastics that we put through our process as well. So the issue of mixing plastics has been a problem. We've solved it on the plastic side with our solution here. Yeah, that's great. And I saw that you're also capturing methane and turning that into a renewable natural gas as well. So is that when you are taking the plastic and heating it up and pelletizing it? Is that where the methane is uh, coming out? Laura, the process is a little bit different for that. But I will say as we heat the plastics up, there is a natural gas content that comes out of that process that we actually use as part of the heating process for the plastics. But the large area that we're focused in on there in terms of the methane gases, the greenhouse gases that create global warming, is actually separate and distinct type of technology. So what we do uh, on that part of our business where we create negative carbon renewable natural gas is we take food and animal waste and we put it into a biological process, sort of a digestion type of process that takes about three weeks or so, but it continuously feeds in. And then what comes out as we process the manures and the foods and different types of organic material is solid content that can actually be used as fertilizer uh, to put back out into the crops. And then the renewable natural gas that comes out of that particular process. That renewable natural gas, we clean up and then we pressurize and we actually put into gas pipelines so that you can heat your homes and food, etc. cetera. Um, that particular process, you might consider that like composting on steroids because it's a very large scale, is super environmentally friendly. Um, as you think about our carbon goals that many companies and countries and you know, we have the Paris Climate Accord, if we are looking for a net carbon zero future, in order to get there, you need solutions like this that have a net negative carbon impact on the world. Because what we do by processing food and animal and other types of organic waste is we take methane that would otherwise go up in the atmosphere and create greenhouse gases and pull it out and put it in a process so it can be burned much more efficiently and not create that bad environmental uh, impact that we see with all the gases going up uh, into the atmosphere. This is a really cool solution. So at the Ashley plant, is this happening as well? So you're not only taking in plastic, but you're, you're taking in manure and stuff as well? At Ashley, we don't take in manures uh, we have separate areas where we are actually taking in, uh, for example, the, our, our big partners out in the farming communities currently are the, uh, the dairy farmers. So if you were to look at our projects uh, here in the States, they run from East Coast, the state of New York. We have a multitude of projects uh, up and running in the state of New York, all the way to the Midwest, to the West Coast of the U.S., and then down to the South as well. So those are projects where we're in the farming communities and we install oftentimes on the farm or adjacent to the farms that are producing uh, the manures uh, or other types of crop waste as well. 
and uh, in partnering with those farming communities to bring them into our process so that we can then again create the positive environmental impacts with that negative carbon renewable natural gas. Mm-hmm. Dairy is a big, a big thing in the environmental world. Like it often gets so attacked. And I'm glad that you are, you know, having this talking about the solution instead of just being like, get rid of all cows. <laughs> so yeah. um, I, I like that you're thinking about, you know, managing the waste in, instead of the other the other way. <laughs> I mean, exactly. I mean, seriously, we, a lot of us, some of us are lactose intolerant, but a lot of us use so many different dairy products and other forms of products. And, you know, one of the things that, you know, I think is really important is when we use that term reimagine waste, you know, it's always good to be really thoughtful about what we're doing instead of like banning the cows, maybe there's a better way to do it with the cows. And that's part of what we're trying to do is find solutions that don't make it an either or proposition, right? You have to choose between something you really love or a better environmental impact. So what we have here is sort of a win-win, you know, the cheeses, the yogurts, you know, the milks and all the ice cream, all those kind of products that we love on the dairy side of things. We can still do that, but then help prevent a lot of the bad environmental outcomes that the manures associated with that process uh, create. Mm -hmm. And the other thing too is, um, you know, our partners, our farming partners, we can actually help by providing an additional revenue stream to those farmers and those great communities of people who serve us have been really challenged uh, even before COVID, but certainly during COVID, uh, the dairy farmers and, and our other farmers out in the communities have economically had changes. So we can allow those of us that really love some of those great products they produce in those communities to do an environmentally really good thing and also support economically our farming communities that I just don't think we want to have go away. So it's a real great solution by just thinking about reimagining how we handle waste. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, Bob, I'd like to know why you're personally interested in, in sustainability and our issues with plastic, because it seems like you have got a lot of money put into helping the world deal with the waste. So can you tell us a little bit about your your personal interest in this kind of stuff? Laura, my personal journey is, is I really reflect on it over the years, started back. It's almost uh, as I think about it in a timeline, like uh, when my oldest, my son, who's now out of college, when, when he was four or five years old, I made my first trip internationally to, to help a client of mine out in, uh, in Indonesia. And I remember uh, first time, you know, never really traveled internationally at all. I get off the plane. I hop into a taxi, go to my um, hotel in Jakarta, and we're going through side streets, and I see kids playing in open sewers, and yet they were happy, and I don't think it they really reflected on it, and yet I looked at that, and that was sort of the beginning for me. It's like, wow, you mean there are really bad things like this? Like I would never think of my kids, my son Sean. Uh, running around like that. And, and again, of course, the kids were were super happy out running in the streets. That was probably the seed of it. And then I spent much of my career working in the energy industry. And I had clients uh, originally uh, before I started uh, getting uh, actually non-clients and working inside of utilities that built power plants. But 
I had clients that built power plants that were coal-fired power plants. And the ash ponds, uh, after they burnt the coal, were there. And then I started looking at environmental reports that environmental engineers wrote. And it really, really troubled me that we were creating to produce power and other forms of energy some really bad problems that most of us didn't even know about. And it just stunned me when I read environmental reports. So as uh, as my career progressed and my, my son, Sean, you know, got older, I think my maturation around these issues made me incredibly passionate about it. And I had the good fortune of working with an environmentally forward-thinking uh, power and gas utility in the state of California here in the U.S. And I think that was the final culmination of, you know what, you can do these things differently and, uh, and not just create problems for future generations to deal with. And then finally, I left that utility because I wanted to do it myself and, uh, and create teams that were passionate about solving these big problems. So that's really the personal journey that got me into this. And it's, it's more than money. It's a passion. We all have choices. And for me, my choice is to do great things. And sure, we want to be successful economically. But my biggest passion is to do things that when I look back, a few years from now, I feel really good that I and we at Brightmark and the rest of us solving these problems tackle. Oh, that's awesome. Well, this is great. Brightmark sounds really awesome. And I'm I'm really happy to talk to you about this. Really cool to see that you are able to turn turn this into fuel and turn some of the more difficult plastic back into plastic and, and all these different things. What what is your website? It's Brightmark. It's pretty simple. It's, yeah, just simply brightmark.com. And you'll find a lot of really interesting things in there. I spoke about the Recycle Force partnership we have with the formerly incarcerated uh, individuals and the great things they're doing, and we're partnering with them. You'll find out information about that. You'll get a little update on the construction of the project in Ashley, Indiana, a little time-lapse photo, and some other really cool info, too, in terms of our goals around uh, pulling plastics out of the environment, greenhouse gases, CO2 out of the environment. So, you know, if you're interested in these topics, uh, you might find it be a really good resource to go go to. And perhaps uh, if you if you like what we're doing, you can uh, track our progress and cheer us on from the sidelines or maybe even help us get this stuff done. Oh, you're on Instagram, too, I see too. So you can you can find them on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, everywhere. So yeah, and the website's great, by the way. The pictures are, are fantastic. And uh, I didn't even know that there was such a thing as renewable natural gas. So it was very cool to learn about that. Um, yeah. So yeah, you can check your website, brightmark.com. Really awesome to see what you're doing. So um, thank you, Bob. Laura, thank you so much. It's just been a delight to uh, to speak with you. Thank you very much. That was Bob Powell. He's the CEO of Brightmark. Change starts now. This is the Zero Waste Countdown Podcast.